Welcome to the SheEO Podcast with your host, Ellie Welcome. This podcast tells the tales of women in the finance industry and the setbacks they've had to overcome in their careers. Women make up less than one-third of executive, VP, and C-suite members in the finance industry. I hope this podcast can shed light on all of the factors that women have to go through while working in the financial services industry. Today's guest is Melissa Richmond. She is the Executive Director of Online and Graduate Financial Services and Planning at the Graduate School of Biomedical Sciences and Professional Studies at Drexel University. Melissa brings a wide range of experiences and we are so grateful to have her on the podcast. Let's welcome Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the SheEO podcast. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I've already given our listeners a brief introduction on who you are and what you do, but I would love to know a little bit about your background and how you got into this career path. So I have an interesting background. So I think um, I started uh, probably working, I started working even before I finished my undergraduate degree. I started in Probably the dot-coms was my first sort of business place, I actually, and I worked out, uh, I lived out west in Colorado and worked for a number of dot-coms while I was out there. And so that was really my first step. I worked for another, I worked for a company called Global Commerce Systems uh, in the height of like, you know, those IPO days. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was a really interesting sort of being thrust into this world that was very intense and very interesting of these growing businesses. And from there, I went to Fujitsu, which is a more well-known company, but they tried their hand in little, like a small division startup of being in this uh, dot-com world. And I was always really on the finance side of things, mm-hmm. uh, finance and sales, depending on what it, where, where we were. So very engaging, but, you know, I was in my early 20s. And, and you know, I, I do re- recall, so I was in my early 20s during that time. So again, very, 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 just a great sort of way to learn about things. From there, I really moved on higher education after that. And in between all of that, I took just a few years off to sort of finish my undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, I am trained as a K through six elementary <laughs> educator with a dual degree in English. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so I did not think I was going to pursue a career in higher ed, though I had already worked in higher ed for a little bit. And I, I thought I would be a teacher and really did enjoy uh, doing that. But was really given an offer I couldn't refuse from the from Marymount Manhattan College where I had worked before. I finished up my degree, and I got the opportunity to work for the president there as the chief of staff and associate uh, vice president for operations. That was really a great experience in really learning higher education mm-hmm. from start to finish. And I started off there first working for the vice president for uh, the CFO and, you know, administration and finance, really got an understanding of the administration and finance operations and then moved into the president's office. So it was probably like six years with the administration and finance and maybe seven years with the president's office. So a really comprehensive understanding of higher education. And then from there, I actually, that was New York. I moved to Philadelphia. And uh, I did commute for a couple of years, but found the opportunity here at Drexel so that I could work a little closer to home. You know, definitely don't want to be commuting two hours every single day. (laughs) 
Yeah, there's a little math. So, you know, you have sort of like a dual position here where, you know, finance is definitely one of the more male dominated industries to this day. But then I have less information on higher ed, but I would say it's less so like that. I would say it's more even in male and female. But with that, in whether it's in your current role, previous roles, have you ever experienced any forms of gender discrimination? So definitely, definitely. I've seen it and definitely have personally experienced it. So as I mentioned, you know, I was fairly young in my early 20s when I started out in the dot-coms. And I do recall going to a working event and, you know, being introduced to someone and someone chuckling and said, whose daughter is this? You know, and so, you know, very politely because they're all business connections, correct. But I am no one's daughter. (laughs) But I'm here in business. So again, really, you know, it creates challenge. There's also, you know, challenges with being overlooked or, you know, having to manage issues in the workplace, you know, where there are, I, I did work, at, at one of those dot coms, I had it, and, and thankfully, I will say that with all the challenges that I have had, I've always managed to find the leaders of the organizations actually to be extremely supportive. So I did have an individual who was, you know, sort of um, poking, you know, someone someone poking at, at me because I was a female, and there was like a little bit of a voice club there and he pushed it too far one day and and, and actually one of the, the CEO of the company sort of noticed mm-hmm. and he asked and I just explained I had not had any intent to report anything or go anywhere yeah. it was before it wasn't in the same time frame you know the way things are today there are mechanisms to report mm-hmm. things like this that didn't exist back then this is over 20 years ago yeah uh, so, uh, and I just shared, I said, you know, look, that's, this is exactly what you just overheard, what transpired. He very quickly addressed the matter. So again, I think he was a little bit ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. You know, this was in the late nineties. So again, you know, sort of rare ahead of his time, but I think it helped having that experience allowed me to have a little bit more confidence that if something that if there is a mistreatment or if someone's not behaving well, Mm-hmm. that yeah. you can take action without retribution. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important to have, whether it be a leader or just a mentor or someone you know you can talk to about these things, because especially there is obviously things that can be really serious that not everyone wants to bring to the attention of whether it be HR or whatever. Some people don't feel as comfortable. I think it's always important to have someone you know in your form, in your company, wherever you work, that you can have those conversations with. And I'm glad that you had a good CEO in that situation. Yeah. So I was very lucky. And then, you know, as I move out of my career with, you know, sort of age and more experience, I definitely ended up having to be the voice. Mm-hmm. I feel like for other women, old and young, mm-hmm. because the position I sat in, at various different companies, you know, whether it's influencing HR, you know, there, there's a lot of conversations that come up and, and people view things through the lens of gender mm-hmm. and having to really having to, you know, feeling compelled to be the advocate. Yeah. And it's, it's very important. And so, you know, in your career, you've obviously had a wide range of experiences. Have you ever faced any challenges in climbing the corporate ladder and just, you know, getting, whether it be promotions or different titles, have you experienced any issues with that? Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I think that, you know, I think higher education is tough 
Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, you have to be in it for the long haul to really engage in, you know, sort of the title changes and the moving up because it's just the nature of higher ed that it moves very slow and you sort of Mm -hmm. have to be patient with things. I'd say before I was in higher ed, though, I, I did have I, I did have opportunities. I often was, I, I, that was not an experience that I had. I think I was able to show that I was hardworking and that often paid off in terms of being able to have career development within organizations. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, it's always good to hear when people haven't had as many <laughs> struggles in that aspect. Yeah. I think, you know, interestingly enough, when I look back and I work for a female, I have a female supervisor right now. I've had a number of male supervisors and probably before this one other female supervisor, which, you know, is interesting. And I probably struggled most with my former female supervisor. Um, And I'm not sure, you know, I've always wondered why that is. Um, You know, she was the one who was more probably the hardest on me and the hardest on her, her female direct reports Mm -hmm. um, in terms of sort of keeping them sort of, in line, in place. And I, again, I, you know, I still managed to be successful in the organization, but that was probably the most challenging. Luckily, like my current manager is amazing. She keeps it a very level playing field, which I very much so appreciate, but I know it's not always the case. Yeah, no, I definitely work towards empowering my staff. Yeah. I want to make sure that, you know, I empower them within the organization. And even if there isn't a pathway within the organization, if there's something they want to learn that ultimately gets them to the next step in their career, that's something I definitely want to talk about. I know that they're not going to, you know, stay in the same position forever. I can't imagine that for anyone. So you want to help them grow. And so whether it's with Drexel now or previous employers, have you noticed any steps that they have made to support women in the industry? Oh, 100%. I mean, so when I entered the workforce and say, um, you know, the nineties or so. And I mean, I even had jobs younger than that, you know, where I was working, you know, while I was in high school or, you know, my, you know, earlier in my, you know, in my teens, um, there really wasn't anything that could be done. There really was no, you know, there were no structure. HR existed in the organizations, but if you went to them for something, it wasn't an environment in which they were really willing to get involved it was more of, you know, tough it up, it'll be okay kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, this is really just the way it is, but none of the programming that exists today. Today, there's very clear sort of guiding principles, risk engagement. There are really, you know, in addition to trainings that are available, you know, right now where we are, there's, there's multiple opportunities to really talk to someone in a way and understand like, is the situation really what I perceive it to be? Or is there really something that is going on here that needs to be addressed, mm-hmm. which is great. Creating space for that and creating a culture that's supportive of that, I think is really critical. And, yeah. you know, for what I do right now with, you know, working with employees, but also working with PhD students, I mean, again, really managing that for them as well. You know, having so many women, female PhDs coming through, making sure that the environment that they are in is supportive of them being successful and uh, and having that space to talk about these challenges and these issues and being successful. I think those are things we bring into their professional development too. Uh, you know, again, I think they're huge achievements. That's, you know, that even then it's just part of the dialogue. 
is a yeah. game changer. Yeah. And do you find support through your female colleagues and even friends outside of Drexel in just discussing some of these more touchy subjects, whether it be about discrimination or pay discrepancies, anything of that sort? Do you find Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, actually, recently, we just had a review of salaries for some of our faculty, which was great. And we wanted to sort of make sure that there was equity in pay. And while they were minor adjustments, we even were able to make some adjustments. So again, that's a great initiative to really bring that pay equity there. And and certainly with my colleagues, I think, you know, this topic, we we try very hard to support each other mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. And, and, you know, I do thankfully have a lot of friends who are in the workplace and, you know, really back each other up. Mm-hmm. on uh, what they need to do to to go forward and to ask for what they deserve in terms of pay, compensation, things like that as they're pursuing, you know, evolving in their careers. Yeah, I think support from your colleagues is so important. I know I personally just negotiated a full-time job offer and I was speaking, with, thank you. I was speaking with someone who I find to be a mentor and, you know, I was just talking about negotiations and just fair wages and it was so important to have someone on, not like on my side, but someone who was able to give me a little bit of insight since she's further in her career than I am and just be able to ask her questions and advice because, you know, I can read as much as I want online, but actually hearing it from someone and getting their perspective is so important. And I find that very valuable. Yeah. I've also learned a lot from my husband, actually, mm-hmm. um, and his approach to how he has dealt with, you know, negotiating salaries in his, in his career. And he's very matter of fact, there's no, um, there isn't any, you know, sort of go in you ask for what you think you're worth and you state it. And I think that women sometimes undersell. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, a, you know, sort of something that's internal to us that we have to overcome. But I've definitely learned that, you know, you can, it, it's okay. It's okay to walk in, state your worth with confidence mm-hmm. and, uh, and have that. And that's, you know, an important piece to learn. And I always find it so interesting. You see these articles all the time. I know my mom talks about this all the time is men will apply for roles that they're not even maybe 50% qualified for, but women will not apply unless they are hundred percent qualified. And I think that's so interesting just because I was recently in the job search and I would see things would be like two years of post-grad experience, but everything else I could check off and just just that. And I was like, nope, I can't apply. My mom's like, you just have to go forth and try. Yeah, it's really interesting. I actually, two nights ago, just had a conversation with a friend of mine who had been out of the workplace for a number of years, um, raising her children. And she, you know, we were just talking about, you know, sort of these bold moves. And she found a place that she wanted to work. Mm-hmm. And she just wrote them an email. And she said, I had nothing to lose. It was, you know, and she wrote the email and the first response back was nice, but, you know, sort of not really looking for anything right now. And a few months later, she received another message back and they engaged in a conversation and they said, are you still looking for something? I think we might have a match or an opportunity. And she's been there since January. Wow. So, I mean, again, I think remembering that, you know, when you can find something that is engaging to you, that it doesn't have to fit perfectly and, and you know, sort of take those bold steps and, mm-hmm. and see where they lead you. Yeah. 
And that sort of ties me actually into my next question would be what advice would you give to young women breaking into the industry? Yeah. So, I mean, the last two things that we really talked about is one sort of making that sort of just that taking that bold chance, also really just owning your value. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of things to talk about is, you know, this imposter syndrome where people feel like they're, they're just, you know, they're concerned or they self-select themselves out of the game just because there's concerns or insecurities or not, not sure. And I think having the confidence to walk in and say, I can do this and, and taking that chance and presenting yourself in a way with confidence that you can, you'll be successful. Yeah. I think that's really important. I also think that just from my perspective, I think that when young women, especially in finance related careers are entering the job market, I think it's so important to remember that you are actually applying for a reason. You're not just, basically my roommate is currently working at Vanguard as a co-op and she will be graduating next year, but she constantly thinks that she is not qualified for her role. Even though they hired her for a reason, they told her that they love having her on the team, even just a few weeks in. And I just think it's crazy how much, you know, we as women, especially like young women, constantly are just questioning why we are in the roles we are. And I do it myself all the time. Yeah. And I mean, I see it. I've done it to myself. I see, you know, very successful friends, women, my sister-in-law, you know, we all do it. Yeah. We all just have to remind ourselves that we're, you know, like we have accomplished what we have. Yeah. And I also think too, you know, a lot of, I I have friends that are in the workforce and also friends that are going back into the workforce now as our kids get older. And I think that's a really hard step to take, but I, you know, I I think when you take the step, they find that they can come back and then it's okay. And they can, and it does work. Yeah. And I think there's always like this dumb stereotype that women who return to the workforce after having children are giving up such a sacrifice of being spending time with their family or vice versa if they choose not to go back into the workplace they're giving a sacrifice for their career when that is obviously not the case whether you're working you're not you are still doing something productive for yourself whether you're raising a family whether you are you know, working at Drexel, whatever you're doing, I think we just really need to get rid of that stereotype because yeah, no, it's, it's all meaningful stuff that we do, whether it's yeah. raising our kids while we work or staying home to raise them. I think it's positive for my kids to see that mom can go to work exactly. and that's okay. And I can still be mom. And, <laughs> you know, I think it's good for them. Yeah, and that yeah. they know that they have opportunity to make all of those choices. I have two little girls. So for them, having that role model is so important. I know I personally look up to my mom all the time in what she does and just in her career path. But those were all of my questions. So I just want to thank you so much for agreeing to be on this podcast. And I hope you enjoyed your time here. I did. I'm happy to be here. Happy to share all this with you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the SheEO podcast. This topic is incredibly important, and we hope by sharing these stories, we can highlight how unfairly women are treated in the financial services industry. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it five stars on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you want to stick around, feel free to follow us on Instagram at the SheEO podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we can't wait to share more.